If you would, take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We'll be going through, moving through the passage that Paige read for us earlier. We want to give attention to the Word of God. This uh, produces within our hearts the most profound and, and thought-provoking of ideas. and produces worship in our hearts. It's the Word of God. It produces this joy that we sing about. What a day. What a day that we sing of. Matthew chapter 27. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes, man, you just groan for eternal life. You, you, you anticipate uh, life after death. You, um, not just Christians, but people in general, the human race, we, we long for eternal life. And we find that Solomon, in his wisdom, stated it for us pretty clearly in Ecclesiastes 3.11, that he, being God, also set eternity in their hearts. And you can see that. You sense that. There's even with non-religious people necessarily, you, 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 they, they sense that desire to believe in a life after death. We see that 92% of Americans, according to statistics, believe in God. They believe in some higher being in God. 85% believe in heaven. 82% believe in miracles. 78% of Americans believe in life after death. Life after death. We want to believe that there's got to be something more than this superficial life. And I believe that desire and that anticipation of, of the reality of eternal life has been placed in the life of human, the life of mankind. Now, statistically though, the world puts us in the category of those who believe other things, more mystical things. They put us in the category of believing in ghosts, believing in UFOs or astrology or witchcraft. And there's statistically, there's one third of Americans believe in those things. So they go too far. They have no guidance in what they believe. It's just a, it's just a, a blind faith. We believe in a resurrection. We believe that there is life after death. But it's not based upon, it's not based upon frivolous things it's based upon some sub- substance it's based upon the word of god i went into a gift shop the other day now, this is a gift shop not a whole lot of items in there anyway there's a few books on the shelf four out of the handful of books that were there were on people who have died and come back from the dead to tell about it, or, or have survived death, they would say, and come back to tell about it. Then they've written about it, and you can read the books. We don't base our faith on those kinds of books. Those are fine. We don't base our faith upon the, the artifacts that uh, may be found, the Shroud of Turin, is popular these days. We don't base our faith upon that. We base our faith upon Scripture. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead 
this fundamental principle in Scripture and to the Gospel. If we are not raised from the dead, we are we have nothing to say. We have no gospel to proclaim. Our message is in vain, Paul says. We believe that because Jesus Christ raised from the dead, those who are in Jesus Christ, those who are following Jesus Christ, will also someday rise from the dead. We will also live with Him. There will be that life after death. And this is the basis. This is not a blind faith. There's plenty of evidence in Scripture to support this. There is reason here. It's not, it's not just a, a leap of faith. There's a, what we base it upon, there's pr- plenty of proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Scripture. In Scripture. We look at Jesus' life. He had the ability to heal the sick. He had the ability to raise people from the dead. That's a... It's a good indication. He prophesied of his death and his resurrection. He, he was in full control of those things. We see evidence within an empty tomb of a resurrected Lord. We see him appearing to many people after his resurrection. And of course, the eyewitnesses of the apostles, they give evidence. All of this gives evidence, plenty of evidence in Scripture. And to reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ or to reject life after death is to reject the very teaching of Christ, to deny Scripture and to discard the power of God. It's a very serious thing. It's fundamental doctrine that we hold to resurrection. Now, we turn to Matthew's Gospel Matthew gives us an account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus Christ for three and a half years. And he's writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he's recording for us the events in Christ's life, his miracles. He records for us the teachings of Christ. But he does so from a theological standpoint. In fact, what you see is that he's wanting us to come to the same conclusions that he has. He's kind of leading us. Now, remember, by this time, by the time that he is writing, he has been a pillar in the church, an apostle in the church, for over 30 years after the resurrection, after he had spent time with Christ. He was a seasoned saint. And he is writing this down... So that we can come to certain conclusions. And he has a certain perspective that he wants us to, to, to understand. And that perspective is that, and he presents all of the evidence, but that perspective is that Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews. In fact, he goes beyond that. He gives evidence, plenty of evidence here, that Christ himself was supernatural. And that He is God incarnate. He is the God-man. In fact, we are to conclude that He is the King over the universe, having all power. That's Matthew's perspective. He's giving us the facts, but He's wanting us to draw certain conclusions. Now, here's the point. Here's the point of the passage. Here's what I want you to see in this particular text. I know we haven't read it yet. Paige read it for you. We'll get into it in just a minute. But the point of the passage is this. Christ raises from the dead with great power. 
Now, all of the, all of the uh, four Gospels, they all give that account. And, and it was with great power with which Christ raised from the dead. But he goes on, this great power produces worship in those who love him and further rejection in those who hate him. And in which both of these things really produces evidence of a resurrection. Let me read it to you again. Christ raised from the dead with great power, producing worship in those who love him and, and further rejection in those who hate him, which produces evidence of a resurrection. Now, let's look at our text here. Again, Matthew's got his perspective. He's in, he's in the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit. He's writing these things down. One of the perspectives that Matthew has, and I, I want to point this out, is that he is writing from the Roman perspective and the Jewish perspective. And you have to know a little bit about Matthew. He was, he was a tax collector. And a tax collector in that day would have, have to, to be a turncoat, really. He, he would have to join the, the Romans. He would have to cooperate with them. And that's what he did. And he learned the Romans' perspective on things. And he was in that realm of politics. And um, he wanted us to see, I mean, he points out in his account of the resurrection, two groups, two different groups. And we see this, again, from his perspective, two groups. One, the enemies of Christ, and as well, then, the worshipers of Christ. But everything that he he we will read here revolves around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's his perspective. And it seems that he gives more detail about the enemies of Christ than he does about the resurrection, the details of the resurrection. You can find the details of the resurrection more in Luke and Mark and John than you can in Matthew. It seems that Matthew is not putting the emphasis on the resurrection, but more on the enemies of Christ. He gives a whole lot of detail there. Now, before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll read our text. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity of gathering together on this Resurrection Sunday. This time that we can come together as believers and celebrate this wonderful day. Celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is. Lord, now as we look into this word, your text, this text, may we glean from it things that will stick in our hearts. Things that will help us to glorify you. May you be honored and glorified with this today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, two, two groups. Two groups. Chapter 27, verse 62. Let's begin reading in verse 62. Now, on the, on the next day, the day after the preparation, and that would be after the, the Passover, the priest the, or the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. They gathered together with Pilate. What we see here is these are the enemies of Christ before the resurrection. Enemies of Christ before the resurrection. And what I want you to see, and I, I think that you'll uh, see this, and I think Matthew wants us to see this, they were driven by their own sinfulness. 
driven by their own sinfulness. Now you need to understand there's two groups here. The chief priests and the Pharisees. The chief priests, they were the, they were the priestly line. They were the guardians of the temple. They were in charge of the temple's policies, uh, the practices, the procedures, who gets into the temple, who does not get into the temple, who's rejected from the temple. They were in charge of the temple guard. They had a lot of power. They were the, the, the Jewish aristocrats. They were the, the ones in charge. They were a sect primarily, though, of the Sadducees. And something you need to know about the Sadducees is that they only held to the Torah. The only word of God that they believed in was the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. In the Torah, though, you find no teaching, direct teaching of a resurrection. So they did not believe in a resurrection. That's the first group. They had rejected the resurrection. The second group is the Pharisees. These were the holy ones. These were the separatists. They were the ones that came away from the Greeks and said, we Jews need to, to stick to our Judaism. And they interpreted the law with their own oral traditions. And they stuck closely with that. But their interpretation of the law was binding upon all of the Jews. What they said went it was the law of the land. They were the dominant spiritual leaders of the Jews. They, they did believe in a resurrection from the dead. And that's what put them at odds with the Sadducees. And they, these Pharisees, they were the ones that had the biggest, the biggest hand in the death of Christ. Now, these two groups hated one another. They didn't like one another. They didn't get along with one another. But they hated Christ more than they hated each other. And the only times you find them coming together in Scripture was when they were opposing Christ. Now, they would attack Christ on individual groups, sometimes on an individual basis. But when they came together, they had the power and the influence over the people. And they came together and they were the, they were the driving force of the, of the crucifixion of Christ. But they opposed Christ. And in this passage, what we see is they have a concern. They have a concern. Look at verse 63. And he said, Sir, we remember, or they, uh, and said, now this is the two groups, they came together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. So they start thinking. They remember, oh, that's right. Three days. We better act. They had a concern. They had a fear within their hearts. Now, they had already won the battle. Christ was dead. And they really should have nothing to concern them other than the influence of Christ after, after His death. And they were concerned about a hoax. What if... So their mind starts thinking, anxiety swells up in their, in their heart. What if? What if? So they go to Pilate and they present the, the problem to Pilate. Verse 64. They want to prevent a hoax, by the way. Verse 64. Therefore, give, give orders to the grave, for the grave to be made secure until the third day. 
Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. So you could see their dilemma. But you know what? Behind that surface, I think, I think what you see is in their heart of hearts, there's some fear there. They really think, what if? What if this guy is telling the truth? What if this guy is legitimate? What if this Jesus of Nazareth can rise from the dead? And so I think there's fear in their heart. But they want control. They are driven by their own sinful selfishness. Their own pride. And it's control. We see a lot of control in our political arena. And we see a lot of times sin drives that. And it's, it's sad when we see that. It's not right. But so often sin drives men. Look what happens, verse 65. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, and now that could have been about 12 guards. That would have been a, a, a group of guards. They, so Pilate gave them this. But he also gave them the ability to seal that tomb, it says. And they sealed the tomb. So they would put some kind of wax onto that with the Roman seal. And if anybody broke that seal, if anybody broke that wax, it was, it was cause for death. And again, what you see is this control, this dominant fear that controlled their life. You know what? What it really comes down to, they were fighting Christ. They hated Christ. But who were they really fighting against? They were fighting against God Himself. They were fighting against God. They weren't just enemies of Christ, but they were enemies of God. You know, we can kind of see that in the way that Christ attacked them when He was on earth. Let me give you a few things here. They subjected the Word of God to their own interpretation. They didn't really obey His Word. They obeyed their own religion. Their love for God was hypocritical. Jesus pointed that out. They had no real fear or respect or reverence for God or honor for God in the way that He deserved. Um, they did not love God's people, but they, they burdened the people down with guilt and many rules. They didn't tell the people the truth. And essentially, they rejected Christ. And what you do with Christ determines what you do with God. That's what we see. They were enemies of Christ, therefore they were enemies of God. Now let me ask you, just by way of application, is it, have you ever been driven by sin? By your own selfishness? By fear? It causes you to go beyond and do things that, that just are not necessary? Do you ever wonder, am I fighting the right fight here? Am I fighting against God? Did those questions ever come into their mind? They were fighting Christ, but ultimately they were fighting God. What you do with Christ determines, it determines what you're going to do with God. It determines your place in eternity. And sin so often 
so often drives us to do things. How do you handle sin, though? If they would stop right where they were, identify the sin in their life, and what? And repented of that, they would have been okay. But they didn't stop there. They didn't stop there. In fact, what comes next is just amazing. It's amazing. Skip down, chapter 28, verse 11. See what they do next. Now, this is the enemies of Christ after the resurrection. So sin drove them before the resurrection, and now sin's just deceiving them. They were deceived by sin. This is the enemies of Christ after the resurrection. You would think they had learned their lesson. Look at verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and, and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. Okay? You, you understand the situation? The guards were, were there. Now, we skipped some reading. We'll go back to that. The angel come. There's an earthquake. And they look in. The stone was rolled away by the angel. They look in. Christ is not there. And they were petrified. They were scared. They were scared. Um, but they come and report. They come and report. They go, go to the right source and said, Hey, look, here's what happened. We were there. We saw it. Here's what happened. And so the guard gives their report to this council. <clears throat> look at verse 12. And when they had assembled, when they had assembled, now this would have been the council back together, the elders, these, these leaders of Israel, they consent, um, and uh, consulted together, verse 12, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Seems like there's, there's nothing that money can't buy. Verse 13, and said, you, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. Now, that's got to be an embarrassing situation for the guards to say that we were sleeping. Verse 14, and if, they, and if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. Now, they deserve death. They recognize that. They realize that. If anything would happen to that body, they would, they would be killed they were, really didn't want it to come to the Roman authorities, so they went to the Jewish authorities. Try to settle it there. And the Jewish authority says, okay, we'll give you some money, a large sum of money, and just keep quiet about this. In fact, here's the story we want you to tell. And what, they, what we see is a, a plan, and we see a payoff, and we see a lie. Something that did not match reality. This is what you say in spite of what actually happened. And here's the result in verse 15. And they took the money and did as they, were, they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews even to this day. Even 30 years later, that, that, that story had spread around. That was a payoff. There was, there was a payoff. There was money involved. There was a lie concocted. Now, one would think, one would think that in light of a resurrected Christ, a resurrected person, anyone, that, that it would draw their attention to the mighty hand of God. 
But it did not. After the resurrection, they were still just as sinful as they had been before the resurrection. Even in their sinful state, they were deceived by sin and Satan. Actually, Satan was just using them as a pond, as we, as we see, as a pond to move about as he wills. And the battle is actually against God. But they didn't see this. And you think, you sit there and you think, boy, if I was in their situation and I saw that and I heard the reports from these guards, these guards that were shaken with fear, then, boy, I would know. I would turn. I would reject my sinfulness. But the reality is, is your sinfulness has you blinded to the point that you can justify anything in your mind. You can rationalize anything away. And that's what they were doing. They did not send out to, to gather the evidence. They didn't, they didn't put these guards under, under lock and key or, or threaten their life. They didn't do anything that they should have done. They didn't even look for the body. They didn't bring in the disciples and question them. They just said, here's a lie. We're going to stick with it. And you go out and you tell everybody that you can. And that story stuck. It's stuck. Sin not only drives us, but it deceives us. Satan blinds us. Sometimes we don't want to face the facts. That's the reality of things. We don't want to face the facts of our own sinfulness. Again, all they needed to do at this point is they identify the sin, the heart condition, and reject that. Reject that sin. Put that sin away. And turn toward Christ. But they didn't. That's an amazing thought to me. How would you have responded in that situation? What would you have done in that situation? Would you be like them and just have rejected Christ before the resurrection? And reject Christ even after the resurrection? Even after all of the evidence is clear and it's seen that Christ has been raised from the dead? Sobering thought, isn't it? Sobering. What, what would you do? Well, let's go back and look at the worshipers of Christ. This is the other group, the worshipers of Christ. Verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 1. Now, this is the good news of the story. Now, it's interesting that Matthew gives us so much about the details of the enemies of Christ. And he's got a purpose. He's got a reason for that. Now, let's go and look at the, let's go look at the worshipers of Christ. Now, after the, verse 1, Now, after the Sabbath, as it had began to dawn, Toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the came to look at the grave. We have some ladies that, that Matthew brings to our attention, and these ladies were were going to the grave. Now there's other ladies along with them, and we see that account in Luke and and John and Mark, and they had spices, but Matthew doesn't mention any of those things. Um, their focus was the grave. It says. To look at the grave. They were expecting to see a grave there. A dead person. A dead body. They took spices to anoint his body. They were expecting Christ to still be in the grave. Now, 
I've got a note. There's some misconceptions about Mary Magdalene. There's movies and there's stories out about Mary Magdalene that she was the wife of Jesus. But she was not. She did not bear his son. She was not the prostitute that Jesus had uh, forgiven the sins and rescued. No, actually Mary Magdalene, we see in Luke chapter 8, she was the one at the end of verse 2, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been had gone out. And this was early in Jesus' ministry. He had cast out demons in her life, and she followed him. She was a follower of Jesus. The other Mary was a follower of Jesus as well. Her sons were James and, and uh, jo- um, Joseph. And she was married to Clopas the Less. Clopas the Less. Now, according to just commentaries, the less is probably, he just meant, it means he was short. Clopas the less. But they were just two ladies. They were probably dominant uh, ladies in the community, and they, uh, they were followers of Christ. Notice who was not there, though. Where were the disciples? I believe that there were fear. They... Stay home. It's better to be out of the public's eye because they had already grabbed Christ. They had already crucified him. And we better just stay away. But the, the women, they had the courage. They had the faithfulness to follow Christ wherever he was. In fact, if you look back, we see Mary Magdalene and the other Mary in verse 61, back 27, chapter 27, as they watched him being taken off the cross... And they watched him embalmed and put into the grave. But they also watched him crucified. They also then were going to be the first ones to see him raised from the grave. These were courageous, faithful followers of Christ. Look at verse 2. And now behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. So you have this angel. Angel comes. He rolls away the stone. This is a huge stone. It would take several soldiers to put it into place and to remove it. And this angel does it with little to no effort and he sits on the throne uh, on the the stone. Verse 3. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as as white as snow. This is miraculous. We see the power of God. We see the power of the resurrection right here. And it's demonstrated in a supernatural way. Matthew gives us that account. But I want you to notice the guards. Look at verse 4. The guards shook for fear of him. Now these were Roman guards. They shook for fear of him and became as dead men. They were so afraid that they just were paralyzed they were paralyzed. And then the angel had a message to say. <clears throat> the, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he, la- where he was lying. Verse 7, go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The angel delivered his message. It was a short, 
quick message there. It was just a very simple message. He has risen. Come and see. They became, they became um, eyewitnesses then of the resurrection. He has risen. Come and see and go and tell. That's a wonderful message. It's a simple message. Now, look at the next verses. The sighting of Christ They were there, so they got to see the resurrected Christ. The disciples were not there, so they did not get to see that. They missed out on this blessing. In verse 8. Verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. That's an interesting combination. It's kind of like what we experience here today. Jason getting up and reading his resignation. That, that's a sad moment. But this is a great joy for Jason. And what God has for him next. It's a combination. It's a bittersweet combination, Jason says. Here is you have fear and great joy. And they ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And this is just the common greeting. This is a greeting. Hey, how you doing? This is something, this is a greeting that you would see in the marketplace. There's no, no, uh, this is just a normal greeting. How you doing? It's just a normal greeting. Jesus greeted them and they came up and took hold of him and worshipped him. They worshipped him. They grabbed hold of his feet and, and, and worshipped him. They loved him. This was Jesus. The object of their, their worship was not the common Jesus that they just live with every day. But this is the Jesus who had the power to overcome death. This is the supernatural Jesus. This is genuine worship. There was both fear and great joy in here. In this. It is um, it is the reaction of being... Exp- this, is, this is genuine worship... Worship then is a reaction of God exposing or us being exposed to God of power, the God of power to take our life, the power of life and death that struck fear in them. They were beginning to realize who they had been following this whole time and they worshiped him. And the picture is this is a scene of of worship. Now, I don't believe that Matthew is doing a dissertation on worship here at all. But he was an apostle of the church for 30 years after this. A faithful disciple of Christ who who Christ used to build his church. And this is a moment of worship. And so he's giving two words that are descriptive terms concerning worship. And it's both fear and joy. Fear and great joy. Those are two good descriptive terms of worship, isn't it? Um, the heart, there, notice though, their heart was prepared. They had followed Christ before the resurrection. They loved him. They had accepted him, they, his teaching, and they were following after him. And they had great fear and joy in this worship. They gave adoration to Christ. This was a sobering moment. Now, it wasn't just dominated by fear. Fear didn't grip them like it did the soldiers to the point that they couldn't, they were paralyzed and couldn't do anything. They just became like dead men. And it's funny, these soldiers, they should have been brave. But they weren't. They weren't at all. 
It was these ladies that were brave. It was these ladies who had accepted Christ and followed Christ and had been following His teaching that accepted Christ and the resurrection. They were afraid. There was some timidity there. There was some fear. But, it, but it still, they were able to worship. They were able to go after Him and bow down and worship Him. It was a sobering moment. There was joy within their heart, but there was also that fear. And sometimes our joy has to be, has to be tempered with fear. We have to realize who we're dealing with. That this is a God with power. Power that we don't understand and we don't see on a daily basis. And it shocked them. They, they grab His feet and they, they, this is profound worship. There was wonder, there was respect, there was awe, there was a humility. There was a complete draining of self in this kind of worship. It wasn't a fear of paralyzing, a fear that uh, there's of no response but that joy and that worship, or that joy and that fear combined, came together and created a moment of genuine worship there for these ladies. Now, we understand the combination of fear and joy. When I was a, uh, in college, I did some rafting. And one of the things they would tell you as a guide, they said, you better, you can have fun on the river. And we did, we had a lot of fun, but you better respect that river. It will take your life just like that. Recent days, we've seen some plane crashes, plane crashes. If you're a pilot, you can enjoy flying. There's great joy in flying, but you better respect gravity. You better respect the the elements, the weather. And... It should cause great fear. Even the, the big ocean liners that we see, they're, they're massive. They're wonderful. They're so much fun to be on. But remember, remember the ocean. You better respect the ocean. It's bigger. It has the power to, to overcome. So you see the combination. There's great joy, but our worship is always tempered with, with some fear with some reverence toward the true and living God who has the ability and the power to raise the dead. Now, let's kind of draw this to a conclusion here. What's the basis of your faith? What's the basis of your faith here? There's an abundance of evidence in Scripture and... um, and that should be sufficient, and it is sufficient for Christians. We look at the evidence and we think how clear it is in Scripture that Christ rose from the dead. But what you do with the evidence of Scripture tells a lot about you, doesn't it? We've seen that. The enemies of Christ, they saw the same evidence. They did not fall down and worship Him. They didn't look Him up and say, you know, I just I want to worship you. They still rejected Notice that those who love Christ before the resurrection love Christ after the resurrection. And those who were enemies of Christ before the resurrection or hated Christ before the resurrection, they hated and lied about Christ even after the resurrection. The only thing that the resurrection does really is solidify. The evidence there, all that it does is solidify what is already in your heart. And the question has to be asked is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Has sin just, dry, is it sin driving you? 
Has sin deceived you? Are you fighting God? What have you done with Christ? And as believers, as believers, when we see this evidence, does it call us just to profound worship? With great fear of of dealing with the God of the universe? Fear and joy. There's great joy. We've sung about that. But that great combination of fear and joy. If you have not, if you have not, if you are here today and have not dealt with your sin and have not accepted Christ or you have rejected Christ in the past, you've got to deal with that today. That's an issue that you must settle. You, are, you fall into two categories. Either you are an enemy of Christ or a worshiper of Christ. Sobering thoughts. If you're a Christian, that's, that brings great joy and the great fear and leads to worship. But if you're, if you're not a believer, if you're just suppressing the evidence like the, the Pharisees did, then you're in great danger. You're in great danger. There should be some soberness. You should identify that sin that's driving you, that has deceived you, and, and get rid of that and repent. You need to cry out to God. I know this is a heavy sermon on a wonderful day of celebration that we've come together. But these are sobering things. Sobering things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are are a great and wonderful God. We come before you with, with fear, but Lord, with joy in our hearts, joy inexpressible. There's peace and rest in you we can settle the eternal life issue with you and and lord we thank you for just those blessings may we never forget and be swayed by the joy element of worship and to to be tempered with the the fear element the respect worship uh, element of worship may we always be careful and cautious to know who you are And what kind of God we are dealing with. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has not accepted you. Lord, we know the evidence isn't going to persuade them. It's the heart condition. And I pray, Lord, that they would deal with that today. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate together your son's resurrection. And what a joy it is. We pray that you would bless us. The remainder of our day, help us to examine ourselves and to take these things seriously. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.